This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So this story, definitely top of mind and near the top of the Bloomberg's most read list of stories, Huawei Technology CFO arrested in Canada over potential violations of U.S. sanctions on Iran, provoking outrage from China and really complicating uh, the already thorny trade negotiations, uh, just as they seem to enter a, a critical juncture. Let's get into this with Josh Wingrove, Canada economy and politics reporter at Bloomberg News from our Ottawa bureau. Pashira Ovade, also in the house, technology columnist at Bloomberg Opinion. She's actually in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker studio. Josh, I'm going to start with you. Read this story this morning, reading it, and I was like, oh my God, what? What's going on here? What's the latest? Yeah, so let back up. This is revealed yesterday, but happened last Saturday. That's the same day that Xi Jinping and Donald Trump were meeting in Buenos Aires. And it was then that the CFO uh, was sort of nabbed on a, on a transfer of flights at the Vancouver airport, on a layover, I guess, uh, by Canadian authorities. The U.S. is seeking her extradition. Uh, now, uh, they, the, those two countries have an extradition treaty, which means that when the U.S. asks if they dot their eyes properly and cross their T's, Canada really doesn't have any way to say no. Uh, so Canada is, in effect, doing uh, the, the, the heavy work for the U.S. here. It's unclear where she was traveling to, ultimately, but now she's being detained. She has a bail hearing tomorrow, we understand, uh, and uh, the, these kind of processes can take years to work themselves out. And this has obviously garnered a lot of attention at the highest levels of government. And Josh, I believe we're awaiting some commentary from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about this. Is that right? Yeah, we're watching right now, and if I have to be rude and leave, Canadians hate being rude, you know, so I apologize <laughs> for that. Uh, but yeah, so he's expected to speak shortly in a press conference, not specifically about this, but obviously we expect it to come up. It's put him puts him in quite a jam, because of course it, it looks like he's doing America's bidding on right. this, and that could rile the Chinese, and relations had been souring a bit already. Canada had rejected a Chinese company's takeover of a major construction firm. They had high hopes of launching trade ta- talks, but that never materialized. So Trudeau's had a couple of false starts with the Chinese who might look at this and say, hey, this is an administration we can't really get along with. Uh, they already are having pretty strong uh, negative reaction to this. They are right. saying that the CFO did nothing wrong. Interestingly, Huawei is saying only that they're not aware of her doing anything wrong. Huh. It's tricky. There's a lot to be known. Sure, come on in on this because Joe Weisenthal kicking off our broadcast saying, uh, likening this story as if something like this happened to Apple or Steve Jobs' daughter, right? This is how we would look at this story. I mean, Huawei is a huge company in China. You saw this story you read in. How do you see it? What do we need to know as investors and as we look at kind of the ongoing complicated relationship between the United States and China? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, when I saw it, my immediate thought was this makes the um, the trade war, the the Cold War on trade between the U.S. and China so much worse because, as you said, uh, these Chinese companies, including Huawei, have been caught in the middle between uh, the Chinese government and the U.S. government, and what the U.S. government do- di- is doing 
they must know that it's going to worsen tensions with China. So it's very, very big from um, from that standpoint. And look, it's been interesting to see that Huawei is such an important company in in making the kind of equipment um, that is essential for the functioning of telecommunications networks and smartphones. Its its gear is extremely popular in places like Europe and the Middle East and Africa, not in the United States because it's effectively been barred here from, um, from significant operations. But the big question, of course, is what does this mean for Huawei's ability to continue operating and it's already kind of being squeezed in some of its markets like the UK, um, in part because of US pressure. So this just, again, turns up the dial on that tension, both for Huawei and the US-China relations. Well, and Josh, this is also coming at a time, and you alluded to this, where the Canadians are still trying to figure out whether the USMCA is going to go into effect. And so there, there's multi-levels of trade and, and intrigue, it feels like here. Yeah, and of course that deal has a China clause in it that allows uh, the U.S. and Mexico, for example, to quit the deal if Canada proceeds with a deal with a non-market economy that the other two don't like. Canada has argued, hey, that's mostly symbolic, but uh, certainly in pretty big symbolism. So, you know, Trudeau has tried to have his cake and eat it too, try to woo China and the U.S. at the same time. I think that's getting obviously pretty pretty tough to do, and that big dinner between Xi and Trump took place a day after that deal is signed. That, that new deal, though, needs to be ratified. Still, right. Democrats are taking control of the House, so we'll see how that goes. Hey, I just want to throw this out there, and either Shira or um, uh, uh, Josh, you can take this just quickly, 30 seconds. But, I mean, we've, the Commerce Department in the U.S. has been looking into Huawei and what it's been doing in terms of putting out information, technology to Syria and North Korea. I mean, Shira, we shouldn't be surprised, or, or is there something interesting about the timing? Just quickly. No, we shouldn't be surprised because you're right. We've known that the U.S. government is looking into Huawei's U.S. technology sales. Yeah, but the timing of this right around the U.S.-China trade tensions is interesting and odd. Does feel like it's tightening the screws. Hey guys, thank you so much, and we got to get back to Shira because she's got a really great story on the terminal about Mark Zuckerberg. So we're going to try and uh, get back to her on that. Josh Wingrove, Canada economy and politics reporter at Bloomberg News from Ottawa. Shira Ovide, technology columnist, Bloomberg Opinion. Check her out on Twitter. This is Bloomberg. Oh, a little Elvis Costello. You know, Caleb Melby, and I mean this is coming, he's got a little bit of an Elvis Costello look, you know, oh, wow. sort of like cool guy, he's got that vibe. Is it the glasses, perhaps? It's just the glasses. I think it's just the glasses. Can we talk opportunities, though? We can. Caleb Melby is here with us. He is one of our financial investigations reporters, a crack reporter, uh, and has spent a lot of time looking at the ins and outs of Trump Incorporated. And you can't talk about Trump Incorporated without talking about Kushner uh, Incorporated. New Jersey, take us to the shore. Yeah, uh, so uh, we're going to Pier Village in Long Branch, New Jersey. Uh, the Kushners have been working on, uh, along with Extel Development, creating this uh, sort of a seaside resort there. Condos, uh, hotels, everything else. Um, and it, it's also the subject of, it, it's now an opportunity zone. And opportunity zones, uh, not to bore you too much, they're part of the new 2017 tax law. 
and governors were allowed to nominate ostensibly impoverished communities as opportunity zones. And that comes with a huge bevy of tax benefits for real estate developers. So, okay. So I was writing some notes to myself as we were getting ready to talk with you. Tax breaks, check. Reviving an economic zone, check. Struggling area, not so fast. Because being designated an opportunity zone means what? Are there certain metrics that have to be met? Yeah. So, so like the, the top line metric is, uh, is at least 20% rate of poverty, which uh, this zone actually uh, has as of the 2010 census. And that's because a lot of the, their, its residents and its richest ones who live on the beach don't get counted there for the census. Because it's, it's a se- home, big seasonal population. A, a big seasonal population. Town, town basically doubles in population during peak summer months. Um, so so it takes technically qualifies and that, that's one of the interesting things we're seeing there's over 9,000 of these opportunity zones I, I'm sorry about 9,000 of these opportunity zones around the country and, and that's what we're seeing is uh, governors uh, have some leeway there's some secondary metrics that they can choose and we're seeing that not all the time are the areas that are getting designated the ones that necessarily need it most so enter the Kushners uh, remind us their real the scope of their real estate uh, empire as it were. Yeah, well, uh, it's been an interesting year for them. That's been changing. Uh, back in 2007, they made a big launch into New York, uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn. Uh, these last few years, we've seen them pull back. They sold their flagship building, 666 Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. They've backed away some of what were going to be big development projects in Brooklyn. And at the same time, they've been buying uh, suburban uh, New Jersey apartment complexes. In fact, some of the ones they, they had to sell to buy 666 Fifth Avenue in the first place. So, so they are moving back into New Jersey, what they know, where they know, in a big way. And Pure Village is one of those things that they're really, really excited about. So why is this interesting? Because this is an area that the Kushners, to be fair, have they, they know it, right? They know this yes. area very, very well. Why is it important to tell this story? Kind of dot the I's, cross the T's for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a few things. First of all, Opportunity zones going forward for the Kushners and for others, I think, are going to be a big deal. I think you will be hearing a lot more about them. For any real estate investor to get the full benefit, they're going to have to purchase assets in these zones before December 2019. It's designed to be a huge flood of money going into these zones all at once, having an impact all at once. And then, of course... in every state, New Jersey included, governors got to make these designations. So it's an inherently political decision. And in most states, especially states like New Jersey and New York, some of the most politically connected and powerful players in politics are real estate developers. And was this something designated by Governor Christie? Uh, no, this would have been the new governor, Phil Murphy. He worked in collaboration with Senator uh, Cory Booker, who was actually a co-sponsor that created Opportunity Zones. Cory Corey's staff went around New Jersey communicating to different elected officials how valuable this could be for their communities. I just got to remind everybody, because John Tucker uh, reminding me, um, and he's someone who knows the Jersey Shore really well, but he, he reminded us that Pure Village was the subject of a Supreme Court decision. The town essentially bullied dozed poor people's homes to build it citing eminent domain and the people went to court and the court ruled in their favor so this is a really interesting area it, it is it, I, because it has involved public lands and yeah. previously held private land and and it's something it, and they're on phase three now and uh the the new property they just purchased to expand into phase three there's going to be a new hotel the kushners are building condos that their partners excel development are building some some of that is on previously held public land so at every step through this process i, I mean there's political touches has the 
uh, and the Kushners have to, though, invest, what is it, the purchase price in order to get all those tax breaks? Yes. If you go, if you go to our store, you'll see a photo of a single-family home they bought right on the water for $2.7 million. They already have it boarded up. The expectation is that it will be knocked down. And to get the, the benefit of the opportunities, they'll need to spend twice as much, I'm sorry, that amount improving it. It's a great story. Great, great story. Must mm-hmm. read. Caleb Melby, yes. financial investigations reporter for Bloomberg News. It's in the magazine, but already online and on the terminal. From New York to Hollywood, it's ladies' night. And girl, the- it was definitely ladies' night uh, last night. And tis the season for doing good because that's exactly what the L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth program is about. It's a philanthropic program, champion inspiring women who are making a difference in their communities around the United States. One such woman is Christy Silver, founder of Aiden's Heart Foundation, the 2018 L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth National Honoree. She's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, along with uh, Maura Nielsen. She's VP of Brand Communications and Strategic Initiative at L'Oreal Paris on the phone in New York. Um, Great to have both of you women here with us. Maura, let me start with you. Tell us a little bit about this program, which I know has been going on for over a decade. It has. It has. It's our it's our signature philanthropic program, uh, and it was really based and and ideated along the belief of our iconic tagline, "Because you're worth it." How could we inspire and bring worth to others? And and we were really as as we thought about it, we we knew we wanted to do something incredibly meaningful, incredibly philanthropic, and that led to this ideation of Women of Worth, which really seeks out to recognize every year ten extraordinary women who are making a difference in their communities through uh, through volunteerism. And I have to say, I've been lucky enough to be included uh, and get to pre- you know present for some of the uh, honorees. Um, you mentioned you highlight these 10 amazing uh, women. One is in our studio, uh, and she was a 2018 National Honoree. Christy, you won that award. Tell us a little bit about your foundation. I know it's an incredibly personal story. It is, and I also have to thank the L'Oreal Paris team. Um, The Women of Worth program is just absolutely phenomenal, and all of us 10 honorees felt amazingly uplifted and supported, and we're really very grateful. Uh, So I founded uh, Aiden's Heart Foundation in 2011, uh, not long after the sudden and unexpected passing of my seven-year-old son, Aiden. Um, He collapsed one day, and uh, we later learned what happened was a sudden cardiac arrest. His heart basically stopped beating because there was an electrical malfunction. I have to go ahead. Jason. Well, I was just yeah. going to say, and and the scope of what you've done since then is is remarkable. Tell us how you've sort of put this uh, into action because it really is remarkable. Well, we had tremendous family and friends, and cultivated a dynamic board, um, all of to whom I'm super grateful. Um, and the love and the community um, support that we had really compelled us to take action. Um, after I learned about sudden cardiac arrest and how frequently it does strike, um, about 7,000 children every year Amazing. do die from sudden cardiac arrest. Um, it usually strikes without warning and doesn't have any symptoms. And um, it's obviously very tragic and I once um, I learned I learned how frequently it does happen um, although it, it can 
be coined as rare, it does happen. And I was committed to not let that happen to another family in our community. And I'm going to share something that you did last night, which really moved me and I think everybody in that room. But I want to bring Maura back in because, more what I find so revealing about what you folks do with Women of Worth is that you really bring to light, and I've seen this over the last few years, about problems that are plaguing people around the country. They're not always in the headlines, whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's bullying, uh, whether it's uh, what you know Christy's talking about. You guys give it a national platform uh, and really raise uh, the consciousness of it and the awareness of it. We do. I, it's very well put. You know, I mean, we were really one of the first um, organizations, and you, you you had the opportunity to meet this phenomenal young woman last night, uh, Jaha Dukore, who uh, started Safe Hands for Girls. And it's an initiative that she started, um, and it's the eradication of female genital mutilation. It was an incredibly dark, um, very, you know, very hard to sort of, sort of grasp type of a type of an issue, and, and we recognized her uh, several years ago, and she has gone on to create, and, and after being honored as a L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth honoree, she has gone on to um, overcome and such unbelievable adversity and actually eradicate uh, that violent act in her home country of, of Ghana. She originally, before being recognized by us, was um, able to impact uh, just 2,000 uh, women uh, at the time of her uh, at the time of when she was recognized to now uh, more than 750,000 women. So, you know, this is the type of, I think, unbelievable work that right. and, and the type of causes that, that we really seek to, to recognize. And, and this year was no exception. We, we saw uh, cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. We saw something called revenge porn, which was new to us and something and, and, a, and a, a, a tough issue. Um, food insecurity, youth services. So it, it really does run run the gamut. Well, and and as Maura pointed out, and Carol, you and I have talked a lot about this, knowing yeah. that, that you've been involved. So much of this revolves around action, too, which I think is so compelling and, re- and really uh, making a difference. So, so, Christy, tell us about what you've done, because one of the things you discovered in your research is there's – there's testing that can be done, and, and really a lot of this can be prevented. So tell us about True. that. True. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so a simple EKG exam, which is non-invasive and it takes 30 seconds, um, is not something that is part of our cardiac uh, our protocol right now for pediatric care. Uh, and so our foundation does provide free EKG exams and heart screenings um, for students um, between the ages of 5 and 18. And what we have found over the eight years that we've been screening students, we've just screened our 1500th heart not too long ago, um, is that approximately 1.8, between 1 and 2, out of every 100 that we screen are found to have a condition that does require follow-up. Wow. What what really stood out for me, and I was going to tell you last night, you, when you went up and talked and you said, here, everybody, all you need to do in terms of learning CPR, it's really simple, it's really easy. I mean, you did a quick demonstration, the whole room was involved in it, but it can save a life, right? Absolutely. And taking action and being brave enough to take these simple steps can save a life. Okay. Well, and and before we came on air, you know, we were having a conversation about places that we both know and, and this simple presence of the right number of AEDs, they've become so much 
easier mm -hmm. to use over the years. People shouldn't be intimidated uh, by them. It's really, it's really amazing uh, the work you're doing. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Good luck. Christy Silva, founder, Aiden's Heart Foundation, and uh, 2018 L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth National Honoree. You can check out more. Uh, just check her out on Twitter at Aiden's underscore heart. And of course, our thanks to Maura Nielsen. She's VP and Brand Communications and Strategic Initiative at L'Oreal Paris on the phone in New York. I got to tell you, my heart just warmed and I'm just, all of these women are so awesome. Good luck, Christy. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser, Jason Kelly, and this is Bloomberg Radio. He definitely is a new world man. He's constantly looking at the trends of tomorrow. David Kirkpatrick back with us, founder and chief executive officer at Technonomy uh, in our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. We do have to talk about tech. There's a few stories uh, out there, David, but we want to start with the one that's really front and center right now. We're kind of eagerly awaiting some headlines from the nation's capital. It's not about U.S.-China trade, although that might come into the discussions. But we have big-name technology uh, executives, Google, Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, and Qualcomm. They are meeting at the White House uh, right now. And uh, we're looking for, like I said, those headlines. What are you expecting? What are, what's top of mind for those execs right now? Well, first of all, thanks for that great intro. Um, it, it's a weird moment because I think you could argue they should talk about trade. You could also argue they should talk about competitiveness. You, you could argue they also should talk about U.S. policy to ensure long-term competitiveness. And China is, of course, involved in almost every one of those areas as, as the central issue. Um, I think it's a mix of the above. But the fact that Lighthizer is the one kind of hosting the event, as I understand it, and that he's the the lead uh, negotiator with China on the, the trade talks that have just been announced is probably an indicator that trade is pretty central to these discussions. And so, David, what do you think they want to hear from the White House at this point? Because, you know, you and, and others have rightly pointed out that this has become kind of a complicated, not so clear cut relationship between a lot of these big tech companies and this particular administration. It's a very careful dance it feels like at this well, point it's jason it's a complicated dance between the tech companies and the administration between the administration and china and between the tech companies in china right so each one of those is differently complicated um and i don't think it's very easy to say exactly what should happen uh in in almost any of these areas right now it, it's a tentative sort of tiptoeing situation i do think it is absolutely appropriate, and I think all of the major tech companies, even if they don't say so publicly, do believe that it is very appropriate that the administration has gotten much tougher about Chinese IP theft. Um, the arrest of the Huawei executive today is suggests that that may be looming in the background, even though violating sanctions is the ostensible reason for the arrest. Um, and I think these people are worried about it. On the other hand, the people that are in the White House today, like, for example, Microsoft or Qualcomm, those are two companies that have huge businesses in China. Right. And they do not want to see those businesses jeopardized. Um, they, I once wrote a huge story about how Microsoft could never figure out China until the day they realized if they just did everything the government there said, they would do fine. <laughs> and that was, that was like 10 years ago. But that is essentially what Microsoft did for a very long time. It's harder to do now if what they do is steal your stuff. Um, and, and also, I think, 
all these leaders recognize that U.S. competitiveness is in jeopardy because of the focus and the capabilities that China has combined with, in some cases, their misbehavior. But just the fact that the government so actively and methodically supports tech in China compared to what happens here is a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And I'm just curious. I mean, is China at this point, David, still swiping a lot of American technology? What's what's the record? What do we know on that at this point? Or is it because of Chinese, uh, their own efforts backed by the government where we know they are pushing ahead big time on technology? We talk about AI and their push there uh, a lot. Are they actually making inroads and becoming kind of impressive? Well, the answer to the last question is yes. They are absolutely, they've gotten much, much better as technologists, as creators of world-class software, hardware, etc. I mean, they still don't have semiconductors, really, uh, for example. There's a lot of things they don't have. They are still behind us in AI. But China is moving forward and has much more become a, co- a country that really produces genuinely high-quality tech. Regarding the IP theft question, it, it seemed for a long time that it had really been suppressed and gone into abeyance and that they had recognized that was just strategically an error. On the other hand, we've just seen reports recently that the Chinese government uh, has just shifted the location of the people who were doing the hacking of U.S. IP, and it's still going on. So, you know, it's easy to to hide. It's pretty hard. I mean, I don't work for the NSA. They're the ones who really know. Uh, But I suspect it's not happening as much as it used to happen. It's still happening some. I think there's a lot of disagreement in the Chinese business community as well as in the Chinese government whether they should be accelerating that or pulling it back. They're not even sure what to do. These are super complex issues for everybody. So speaking of super complex issues, David, I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds, because you were the expert on all things Facebook, to... Tell us the importance of what we have seen with Facebook over the last 24, 48 hours, especially out of Europe. Well, I think the simple short answer is everything Facebook does now is defensive. What the what the emails that were released show most of all is just how hardcore Zuckerberg's competitiveness has been in fighting against perceived and real adversaries. But the, the company's response is the most interesting, and right. I think it has been overly defensive, as almost everything they do these days is. We're going to have to have you back to talk more about that. Always a treat. David Kirkpatrick, founder, CEO of Techonomy, uh, author, journalist, guru from our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Time for the drive to the close. Cutter Brown back in the house, portfolio manager at Thornburg Investment Management, based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, but as I mentioned in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio, so nice to have you back with us. Thanks for having me. And we said you've got another baby, six six week old, and you look pretty rested. Yeah, hotel last night, good sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Although, how can you sleep in this market environment? I mean, it is a oh, wacky one. Oh, I see one. what you did there. Nice job. <laughs> Boom. I know. Drop the mic. Bop. Um, but how can you sleep in this? 
environment. You know, and in an environment like this, I mean, even just today, now the NASDAQ's positive from what it looked like pre-open and early trading. Sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing, to not react to this craziness of the news. Are we going to have tariffs, no tariffs? Does that mean you war, weren't no moving money, any money around recently? Or let's even go back to October where we saw a really big pullback in terms of the major equity averages. Uh, we, try not to, we try not to react to what's going on day to day to make, make changes in the portfolio based on that. But we are absolutely taking advantage of opportunities that this market's creating. So buying some things that are off in this market environment. And so tell us about some of that. What what do you think is uh, what's a bargain out there at this point? What are you adding? Yeah, so one one of the names that uh we've added we've added to the portfolios recently is Alibaba with the trade-off in China. So from over $200 a share to uh, closer to 130 um, gave us a really nice opportunity to get in there. Um, that stock, we, we like to do some of the parts on a lot of these internet-based companies. So you're buying the ADRs, or what are you doing? Buying the ADRs in the U.S., yep. And uh, um, their e-commerce, the eBay and Amazon of China, those businesses are growing quickly, great margins. And they've got a lot of things they're investing in that depress earnings currently. We think if you pull those out, it's at a little bit over 10 times forward earnings. looks really interesting to us. What's the interesting investments that they're doing right now? Um, most interesting is their their cloud business in China. So ah, the Amazon model. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, in 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 contrast to what happens here in the U.S., these uh, internet giants in China sort of get government backing. There's some support there for some national winners in these industries. And what else? Because I'm, I'm looking at some notes that you share with us. Comcast is a name uh, that you like as well. I'm, I'm interested in that. In fact, the CEO of Comcast mm-hmm. is uh, Roberts, among yeah. our uh, Bloomberg 50 and the Bloomberg Business Week, uh, Bloomberg 50 this week. You know, notably, he pulled off a big deal uh, in the last year. Where does Comcast go from here? Yeah, hap- happily for investors, not as not a not as big a deal as it looked right. like they were interested in. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so in a Good market point. in a market where anything with some controversy is trading off, the shares really came under pressure when it looked like they might own Fox. Yeah. Um and that 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 there created the opportunity for us. This market has really been punishing anything a little bit contrarian, a little bit of out of favor, a little bit of bad news. Um so that gave us an opportunity to buy some Comcast shares this year at a little bit over 10 times earnings. Uh, phew, we didn't get uh, yeah. all of Fox. Yeah. Uh, we do have B Sky, which is a bit of a head scratcher to us, but we really like their broadband business. In well, the you US. sort of got the sense. I mean, not to get too much into sort of the the politics and the tea leaves of um, CEO on CEO violence, but you know, you got the sense that there was a little bit of an ego thing going on with Brian Roberts, right? He's like, he lost, he lost. All right, he's going to win this one. He's going to win. And, and and as an investor, Media CEOs with an ego. What? What? No. <laughs> you worry how much is that versus how much they think they can add value to the asset, and it does seem particularly in that media space, there is a lot of that going. Around. So is it just a case though that Comcast is undervalued at this point, but you or that you really like what they're doing fundamentally in terms of the business? We, we really like the broadband business. So okay. We really like consumer broadband. Seems competitively advantaged against telecom offers, and and whose whose kids aren't watching YouTube all day right. and eating up all kinds of bandwidth at home? Kids, adults. I'm <laughs> yeah. watching YouTube exactly. every day. Uh, can we talk Google? We got to talk Google. I mean, Google. You know. CEO uh, in Washington, uh, I believe, today, part yeah. of those meetings. Mm-hmm. Coming back to Washington next week, Shindor test Pichon, by, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Capitol Hill, rescheduled from, from this week. They're under fire uh, a little bit. What do you think? A, a li- exactly. A little bit. Um, Facebook, under fire more. Um, so Google, Fair we think, is, is better positioned uh, in that from that regulatory perspective. Um, and at, at Google, too, um, 
you know, there's some concern uh, amongst, uh, especially reading a lot about Silicon Valley executives uh, getting their kids off of uh, yes. devices and how bad those things might be. But search doesn't feel that way. I don't think YouTube even feels that way. So in some ways, I think they're a little bit better protected. And back to the Comcast issue, the TV issue, we still have billions and billions of dollars being spent on television advertising. Who's better at figuring out what targeted ads to slide in amongst TV shows that people are consuming than YouTube? And I thought it was really interesting that Disney and their direct-to-consumer offering is going to use YouTube to do targeted advertising. That is fascinating. Um, you know, in this environment, though, like we talked about um, earlier in the week with uh, one of our strategists, Gina Martin-Adams, that the 3% moves that we saw in the equity averages were pretty significant. We don't see that very often. That didn't freak you out at all, or you just saw it and said, I mean, I get it. Long-term investing, right? I mean, go back 10 years or go back 15 years, the stock market and the equity averages were a lot lower than they are today. So it's in kind of everybody's uh, best interest <laughs> for the market to head higher and for everything to grow. But when you see those moves, does it tell you that there's something fundamentally wrong with our economy or with the growth outlook? Yeah. So what are we missing is, I guess, what we, I'm trying we did to get a, to. We did a pitch yesterday of a new investment that we're buying, which I, I can't mention. But um, Well, you could, but you just don't want to. But I won't, yeah. <laughs> um, there, are, there are many investments today that look like actually they're reasonably priced if we go into recession, especially value-type investments, more cyclical investments, but that if we don't go into recession, they'll go up a whole lot, which seems like a good opportunity if you're not going to go into recession. In my experience, 17 years in, not the, not the longest track record, but 17 years in, when you start to see lots of those opportunities, you might be going into recession. So I, I, I am worried. All right. I'm going to let you You are on... worried. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You can punt on this what you, if you like, but I'm going to ask you anyway. GE, we've been talking about it all week. Are you a buyer? There's at a value this play. That's a value play. It feels <laughs> like. What do you think? We actually we invested behind the new CEO when he came in. We assumed uh, something like a year ago that they were kitchen sinking. Not everything. Larry Culp. You're talking about the other CEO, or are you talking about Larry? Yes. Okay. And uh, it turns out they weren't kitchen sinking. It turns right. out things were much worse um, than than they realized, and then we realized when we made the investment, and so we got out, and so we are. We are bystanders at the moment. It seems like to us, things were much worse than we had a handle on. Right. So let's step out. And that's been a good decision so far. It certainly feels like it. Uh, really, really good perspective. Connor Brown, portfolio manager yeah. for Thornburg Investment Management based in Santa Fe here with us in New York. I always ask him, have you seen Julia Roberts lately? <laughs> no, Julia Roberts lately. <laughs> she no. lives He's there, right? Busy she with does. This she lives, old. She lives He's got a six-week-old baby. He's... <laughs> But he still gets out, the baby, takes the baby in a carriage, maybe takes her for a walks walk. around. That's true. Julia's hanging there. She'd enjoy the baby. I think she should come hang oh, out I with the baby. She, she's yeah. got three kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, congratulations such a crazy question. on your new arrival. Always good to see you. Uh, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week here on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.